to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity, COVID, workspaces, crisis management, well-being, anything that can help you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Alex Fullick there. I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. Longtime listeners and longtime viewers, if you're watching through YouTube, you know that I love to read. I have bookshelves and bookshelves just full of books. And recently, I came across one that I thought was very, very relevant in today's world. Reconnecting Workspaces. Pathways to Thrive in the Virtual, Remote, and Hybrid World. And I'd like to welcome to the show today the author of this book, Jennifer Britton. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thanks, Alex. It's great to be with you for a short while and and with the listeners as well to talk a little bit about reconnecting workspaces, especially as we continue to navigate a world that is ever-changing. Yes. Congratulations on the book, by the way. I know they're not the easiest thing in the world to to pull together, and there's lots of great information in here. Well, thank you. It's uh, really as as uh, as I think our conversation will unfold. You know, it's been a, a book in process for many many years, even before the pandemic. So, looking forward to sitting down with you today and and sharing a little bit with our with your listeners. Well, before we get to the book because uh, there are a few things that I do want to touch on today. Can you take a minute to tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and how you got into what you do? Yeah, thank you. So I'm the CEO of a Canadian-based performance improvement company called Potentials Realized. We offer coaching, training, and consulting services to organizations and teams to really help them continue to navigate ever-changing environments. So I opened the doors here virtually in April of 2004 when virtual businesses were really quite unheard of. And that stemmed out of about 13 years of my own uh, leadership experience working with organizations including the United Nations and Canadian and British NGOs, primarily across the Americas. So Central, South America, the Caribbean, and a little bit of time out of Europe on um, small and large scale international development projects, ranging from community-based initiatives around healthcare to post-disaster management initiatives. And so that post-disaster piece, I think is probably a piece that I really brought forward not recognizing how much it would become important in the work that we do. So that's a a very broad strokes. I'm the author of now seven books, Reconnecting Workspaces actually was my sixth book. And um, we're going to be talking about that today, but it was followed up last October by the 90 Day Guide for Success, which really takes a lot of these principles and breaks it down into a 90 day framework for anyone to really Uh, look at, sort of percolate on, because so much of this work is about creating regular pause points, right? As the world Mm -hmm. is moving 
quickly, how do we stop and pause and think about what we're doing and maybe make those nano shifts, those micro shifts that actually we see from research and practice really makes a big difference in the work and the relationships that we have. And, and pausing these days is uh, almost impossible for many people because it's so fast paced. You know, exactly. things are changing so much. And uh, let's face it, the pandemic really changed a lot of things. It did. It did. And we know, and again, this is sort of the practice that I bring forward from decades ago in crisis, even post-crisis, how do we intentionally create these, these micro pauses? It doesn't have to be long, but mm. we need to really stop and look at what's happening, what's shifting. You know, it's like driving, I'm Canadian. So, you know, what, what do you do when you drive into, you know, snow and, and you hit a skid, you know, you look where you're going. And so are we looking where we're going or are we really just running with blinders on? And I think that's a big part of this is really developing that sensory awareness, developing that cognitive awareness around the changing systems in which we operate within. Yeah. And being in Canada myself uh, for early October, as we're recording, you said the S word. <laughs> snow for anybody who doesn't know that is it's <laughs> when there's no snow on the ground that's a bad word to say <laughs> for canadians <laughs> so let's jump into the book uh, yeah. reconnecting workspaces um one of the things you talk about is a, a difference between a group and a team mm -hmm. wouldn't they be the same thing you know just being you know i have i have a team that reports to me, I have a group that reports to me. Aren't they the same thing? That's such a great question. So my whole body of work, all seven books, touch somehow on this notion of team versus group. And so, you know, any kind of grouping can have many different webs of relationships. But the way we hold teams, that is that formal or informal authority. Teams typically are people who know each other and work together for a shared purpose and are interdependent. Whether or not they're aligned, they exist for a reason. And those connections, those webs of relationships, as I like to call it, are critical in terms of understanding who we are, how we operate, how we're interdependent on each other, even if we physically don't see each other. And I think this is really relevant in today's workspace, where some people are back to the office and never left, right, because they are essential workers or out in the field. Other people mm -hmm. are hybrid, right? The hybrid work across North America and Europe right now is still a big area. And so those teams even if they don't see each other regularly, they still are interdependent. And that's very different than a group where people come together for shared interest, but are not interdependent. So in a workspace context, we might see groups of new leaders coming together for learning experiences. While they have that shared interest and perhaps a shared role, they aren't interdependent. So after that experience together, off they go, take their learning out into the world. And so how this plays out in my work specifically as a group and a team coach, I'm often brought in and asked to come in and work with a team. That team may, again, be a project team. It may be a matrix team, but there is a purpose for that team coming together. And our work really is about helping the team, its individual members, and as a collective, really get clear on who they are and why they exist. Very different than the group coaching work, which is all about the individual. What do I need to do? What do I need to activate? I'm not thinking about a we, I'm thinking about a me. So that's a, a pretty high level description, but I think it has implications in today's workspaces where who, who are we and how are we operating? Who are we in relationship with and who do we need to think about alignment with as well? 
in today's hybrid world or virtual world, isn't it difficult to bring together teams and groups? Like for both one, because we're all separated and you mentioned, you know, you gave some examples, some people were in the office and stayed in the office because of the nature of what they were doing or out in the field or whatever. Is it still difficult to bring teams together or groups together, or is it more difficult to bring teams together in groups? Mm. I think a lot of it is your context, right? Right now, and this is what I think we're just seeing such variety. There are teams, groups, organizations that have really developed tight culture, right? And so it doesn't matter whether we're physically in the office or we're like distributed, we have an identity. We know that we're part of this organization. One of the one of the features of the pandemic we've seen anecdotally and also from a research perspective that one of the, the impacts has been that weakening of the social fabric. So I think organizations that haven't paid attention to culture, it is really hard right now because there's people aren't feeling connected regardless mm. of where <clears throat> they are. So I don't want to say across the board, it's really easy, it's really hard. I think a lot of this goes to what team practices have you continued to develop, evolve, and or maintain? We know, especially for teams, that they need multiple things to thrive in any context, regardless of if it's in-person, virtual, remote, hybrid. All teams need to have clear understanding of their goals and their roles. They also have to have team practices that keep them connected. So again, it's not about physically or virtually being together, but we have to do that with intentionality and purpose. And I think this is where we're seeing a lot of the toing and froing because the focus has been in many instances less on what do we need to do and more on, you know, how do we do it? So can we get back to purpose? Because in the unexpected, as we know, things are going to continue to change. So we want to mm-hmm. keep the focus on like, why are we here? What's the purpose of our work together, et cetera. You mentioned um, uh, an interesting word there, the culture. Mm-hmm. So what makes a good culture to create good teams and, and or groups? What's a bad culture? Because we're coming out of the pandemic. So much changed in an organization, the culture changed in an organization, but there was a culture before the pandemic. And now that we're coming out, it seems there's going to be for many organizations, a new culture almost like a, a third one coming along. So yeah. how to, to dig a little bit deeper in that, how does culture um, affect all some of the things that you've already mentioned? Mm-hmm. Well, this is, a, this is a great topic. And so if I can sort of put it, I'm going to frame it as organizational culture, but I also have to say it in light of the intercultural work I've done for three decades. And we know that whether we're talking geographic culture or organizational culture, it is ever changing. It never stays the same. Mm. Think about your community, wherever you are in the world, whether you're here in Canada or the US or abroad, really, you know, our culture is different every, every year. And so, yes, our cultures are changing. Culture really is how do we do things here? So it's our norms, it's our habits, it's our practices. And I think the big shift, right, the the unexpected shift was we couldn't be together physically. And so many teams stopped meeting. Other teams started doing huddles. And now that they're back in the office, that practice has also shifted. So, you know, there's actually a lot of research, uh, old adage, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. 
a lot of organizations are still saying, oh, we got to get back to strategy. Well, what about culture? Culture is the, the ecosystem in which we operate. It's our oxygen. It's our frameworks and our parameters. So again, it's not an easy area to dip into. I think, you know, leaders, especially in formal training programs, MBAs, you know, we talk a little bit about culture, but we don't really know how to develop culture. It's, it's, a, it's not something we can turn the switch on um, because it is based on, you know, our relational effects. So how we communicate, connect with each other, what we take a stand for. And that's a, that's a bit of a gray zone for a lot of leaders. Mm -hmm. So it is a fascinating area. I'm sure since you surfaced it here, as we go through our conversation today, it's going to be something that will show up. And really, many, many researchers would say the, dif the difference between a great organization and an outstanding one is one that really understands how to navigate the ever-changing culture, right? It's ever-changing. Mm -hmm. It's not going to stop and be static. So how do we continue to operate with that? And that's where from a more theoretical standpoint, we want to bring people back to what we know about what helps teams thrive. And that's really what Reconnecting Workspaces is grounded in. The team effectiveness research is not changing and has not changed for many decades, regardless of context, which is really interesting. So we got to go back to the basics, which is, you know, disaster management, crisis management 101. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm familiar with those. <laughs> yeah, and that's, you know, and that's that's the entry point for me too, right? In the, in my former world of work, that was what I was. I was a crisis manager. We've got to keep going back to the basics. We've got to keep building those relationships. We've got to keep you know being very clear on what we're here to do, and constantly communicate because the mm -hmm. context is ever changing. Well, I, sorry to jump into that culture piece right now, but uh, the last little while I've been really intrigued by it yes. because there are, and I've talked to so many people uh, on this show, you know, nearly 500 uh, episodes now. And so I've met with different people in different parts of the world in different industries and culture pops up more times than you think it does. Mm -hmm. And so I've been getting really intrigued by it myself and you know i'm starting to get drawn towards that that topic because i'm finding you, know, you you can't just put in a plan and using your book as an example and what you talk about here you can't just say we're going to meet virtually we're going to do it this way we're going to do it that way when there isn't the culture behind it that supports those kind of um i don't want to use the word mandate but those directives Yes. You know, um, and it, that that tends to cause even more problems, right? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, we're talking a lot more these days about systems and ecosystems. And, and just as you said, you know, if we really want to change our culture, we've got to not only look at what we're doing, but how are we paying people? How are we rewarding people? How are we providing feedback mechanisms? And again, these mm -hmm. can change. These are changing quite dramatically. So when, you know, someone is saying, we need you in the office to collaborate, well, are the processes, are the systems changing? You know, are the people showing up to have those collaborative conversations as well? So culture, I think, you know, very much is, is such a significant issue. And I, I'm really actually glad that you brought it up because chapters three and four uh, of Reconnecting Workspaces touch on this. It's been an area that I think 
in my own writing, I'm increasingly trying to articulate different frameworks around it as well, but from a practitioner's edge, right? Like that's why I write is how do we do things differently? How do mm -hmm. we have different conversations? Because how does culture change? It, it changes through conversations and it changes through relationships. It doesn't just change because someone decides, oh, our culture today is X. It, it actually, that is, that is maybe something we're guided towards or we're moving towards, but it, it happens through people. And so how do people change? Through time together, physically, virtually, hybrid. Yeah, and, and sometimes uh, uh, those last minute directives that come out simply because somebody read something somewhere in another book, oh, let's just do that and yeah. tells everyone to change. And that doesn't work. It reminds me when I worked in the uh, restaurant industry, you know, a long, long time ago <laughs> that, uh, you know, our uh, restaurant, the, the president would visit restaurants in Florida, come back with an idea, and then all of a sudden mandate it to all, you know, 30 other to 32 other restaurants or so in, in the chain that I worked. Mm -hmm. And things would just fall apart. Yeah. You know, say, what's going on? You know, and, and that was the culture. Mm -hmm. You know, it came back to the culture he was creating. Yeah. So is it top down? Is it bottom up? Right. And one of the big changes that, you know, the last few years has really led to has been well, obviously disruption on so many levels. But, you know, remote work really means that we need to change the way that we work. Leaders cannot command and control. Leaders cannot Say, I need you to do this when someone is, you know, not physically present. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, after two years of people having more autonomy, more self-direction, I think one of the things we're seeing at present really is that toing and froing, you know, people wanting to revert to how we've always led, quote unquote. Yes. Well, that's a different philosophy. It's a different paradigm. And I think we're not really being, uh, you know, as articulate and saying, you know what, the paradigm did shift. And, and as an organization, do you remain in that paradigm? Or are you trying to go back to something that once was, you know, a stretch okay. mind can never revert <laughs> to the way it was. I think that was Einstein saying something like that. So um, again, I, I think that's another piece that we're seeing right now when we have an experience, whether it's planned or it's unexpected, um, do we change? Yes, we change. And, but can we go back to the old path? Yeah. And on that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. We are talking with Jennifer Britton today and her book, Reconnecting Workspaces. And we will be right back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fulick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Not enough women are talking about money. 
Lisa Chastain is aiming to change that. If you are feeling uncertain with your financial decisions, join us on Real Money, Mondays at 10 a.m. on the Voice America Business Channel, where you will learn how to become more capable with your financial choices. Listen in and hear stories from other women on how they tackled their financial challenges. You will learn from leading industry experts all the tips, tricks, and advice that you need to establish financial confidence and freedom. Listen in Mondays on Real Money with Lisa Chastain. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K. on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Jennifer Britton and her book, Reconnecting Workspaces. Jennifer, great first segment there. I love the, the discussion on culture and, and all of that. You really had my attention uh, big time on that one. Um, but let's jump back to the book because I know we got a little bit off topic, uh, you know, sometimes there. You talk about the changing roles, um, leadership and team members. Uh, how are the roles changing and what kind of roles can we expect now in the new, I don't want to say the new normal, but the new uh, post-pandemic world? Mm-hmm. Great question. Well, again, I I think there uh, has been a real shift in the last few years of what the role of the team leader is and what the role of the team member is. By nature, by default, when we're working in different locations, uh, whether it's a different office or whether it's a different, you know, I'm working from home or I'm back to the mobile world, I need to do my work more autonomously. And that was really magnified in these last few years. So the role of the team leader never really changes. You know, if we go back to just leadership 101, right? Like, let's go back to the basics. What is the role of a leader? To provide direction, to provide support, to help link people with the mandate and the larger objectives of an organization. And so when we're not physically present together, that can really change. And I need, if I'm a a worker working out of home, working on the road, I need to be even more clear on what those you know, objectives are what I need to know in order to make decisions in the moment. So the big shift we have seen um, in many organizations, not every organization, but have been a flattening, sort of been a flattening of, you know, what sort of purview do I have? What role, what responsibilities do I need to take? Do I have a bit more autonomy in doing my job? And so it's interesting as organizations go back into the office, are rules changing? Is that autonomy changing? If we're now hybrid, is it staying the same? So again, I think because we're seeing so many different 
rules and so many different ways of working, organizations need to look at this as well as part of that culture discussion. How are we evolving? Are we becoming a more collaborative environment? Are we really partnering more so that it is, uh, yes, there is still a distinct rule for a team leader because they are responsible. They are the ones that are responsible for the team. But we can also activate our team members and empower our team members to do their work. And if we put that against, you know, what we're seeing in terms of generational differences, what younger people want as they're getting into the workspace, interesting things. You know, that's a whole other topic. I touch on it lightly in reconnecting workspaces, but I think we need to be very aware of who is on your team. What are what is their objective? What are they looking to achieve in their world of work, whether they're in their first few years or they're a seasoned employee as well? With the virtual world and, and roles um, that have changed, uh, you mentioned empowerment. It seems to me now that before the pandemic, yes, leadership was quote unquote empowering people. But when the pandemic hit, that's when real empowerment started and people were able to actually do things because they didn't have someone over their shoulders. Exactly. Anymore. Yes. And leaders had to learn how to lead through influence, right? The the command and control does not work over distance. So if I want to really activate my team to do exceptional work, as a leader, I need to get to know them. I need to understand what motivates them because I can ask you to complete this. But if you're not driven to do that, if you're not interested in doing that, it's not going to happen. And it doesn't matter how much I pay you, you know, like if I cannot see you, if we cannot sit down together physically, really, this is where that internal locus of control, the, 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 the real empowerment, which is, you know, like, how do we activate people? How do we get people to do their best work, to care for their work, to be, you know, to find that they're able to use their skills, talents, and be motivated by it? Mm-hmm. That is the shift that really has happened. And it's going to be interesting, I think, in the, the more medium term, you know, how are how is leadership changing when people go back to the office? Are they reverting to how they were? Yeah. If so, how is that working? Right. You know, leadership is a two way relationship. It's not just what the leader does. The team member also plays a key role. And I think that's what I've been really fascinated with as a longtime leader myself. Right. I, I learned leading in hybrid environments in the early 1990s. We did not have all of this technology, yet I was hundreds of miles away from the teams that I supported connected by long range radio. So those old MASH style radios (laughs) to help them like do their great work and to ensure that they were, you know, health and safety and they, they, you know, got through their mandate in a, a great way. It wasn't about me giving directions. It was really about activating them so that they could do their best work. And my role became troubleshooter. My role as a leader became, you know, how do I connect you with the resources you need? And I hope that as we look back in the future, leaders realize that's really what they were doing during the pandemic. It's a different style of leadership. So going forward, what's appropriate? You know, if you're hybrid, how do you maintain that and not just you know, say, okay, we need to, we need to collaborate here in the office. Well, how do you also partner and keep those conversations going over the virtual space as well? I I was told a long time ago, uh, you're not a leader if someone doesn't want to follow. Absolutely. 
Yeah. You know, and then okay. you can break that down however you want to. But, you know, yeah. and I thought, yeah, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> exactly. Leader, you know, and, and so you look at the work of writers like Robin Sharma, Leader Without Title, right? Like, are we also back to culture? What kind of culture are we evolving? Are we building a culture where everyone is a leader? You know, everyone can have the potential to be a leader. Everyone is playing a key role in the organization. And that's part of, you know, as we reconnect in workspaces, as we continue to evolve, we've got to have those conversations. And that needs Mm -hmm. to happen from C-level all the way down to the the youngest employee. Now, as a CEO myself, right, it's, it's, it's interesting. I know many of my colleagues still have very much a very specific way of seeing the world. My, my vision is very different because as I grew up from my you know, young 20s as a leader, my lesson learned has always been you can't change things if people don't want to change. And so how do we really look to fit people in the right spaces? Even you know, the cover of the book, you can see you know, the fitting together of people. How, what, does that, what does that relationship look like? What does the organization need as we continue mm-hmm. to evolve? And, and leaders have to accept that change is going to happen. Pandemic changed a lot. So you, there's no point fighting that. No. Because it's already happened. The, the, the cat's out of the bag. Yes. You know, you can't change that. <clears throat> it, it reminds me of uh, my own situation years ago. Um, I had a boss, Phil, and uh, he was always given great direction and things like that. But I saw a book on his desk that by uh, Marcus Buckingham, uh, Play, to All, Play to Your Strengths. Yeah. It was called something, something along that line. My, forgive me if I have the title wrong. Um, and I went, oh, what's he reading? So <laughs> I went and got a copy myself. Before you knew it, I was playing to my strength. And, and what I, I found those, yeah, I found those things that, you know, people would point out saying you need to work on this and this would naturally start changing. They were getting better. I was getting better at those bad things while my strengths were still moving up. However, if I was only allowed to focus, you know, and improve my uh, deficiencies, then my strengths were actually weakening because I wasn't getting to do them. And I, I thought, you know, hey, that's this is smart thinking here, changing the way you're you're doing things. And I thought, well, this this is this is much better, you know. And it, it, I can't help but think of that now that we're through the pandemic because it's as though everyone now has read that book and they're doing things in a way that's making them feel better. Strengths-based leadership. We've been leading programming in this for more than two decades, right? And um, it it really, really works. You know, again, it's a a paradigm and philosophy change. So our leaders open not only to the story, but to the vast amounts of research. You know, Gallup Mm -hmm. has been really the the beacon of strengths-based research over five decades, more than five decades. And if we look at what the research really does show, it is much easier for us to lean into our strengths. And we naturally do, right? This is what I found interesting in the pandemic, because we've seen this in crisis management for years. What happens under crisis? We naturally revert to what we're good at. We naturally lean in to those skills that we do almost automatically. That's what our strengths are. They're innate talents. Mm-hmm. It's much harder to do the things that we're not naturally good at. So again, coming out of the pandemic, we've been leaning into our strengths, sometimes even over dialing our strengths, which leads to other blind spots, leads to other weaknesses. But it is seen time and time again that 
individuals and then teams can really excel when we're able to bring our strengths. So part of the Part of the interesting area, which, you know, I just want to sort of plant the seed around here for people and leaders to think about is, you know, what do teams need then? If we're activating individual strengths, how do we weave that together? How do we find that best blend of people so that it covers the range of what we need? Mm -hmm. That's a big part of our work at Potentials Realized, working with teams on how do you really, you know, activate what you're great at naturally, and how do you really learn to either, um, you know, adjust what you need to do, or sometimes partner with others so that you can bring strengths that you don't naturally have. Because I, I've seen year after year, teams go, wow, now I know why we're not great at building a new book of customers, financial services, for example, teams mm -hmm. that have been mandated to grow our customer base, grow the client base. And as they look at their strengths, individually and collectively, there's no strengths there around relationship building. Hmm. So, you know, it has implications on many, many levels. Well, let's change gears a little bit. You mm -hmm. talk about a triad. Yes. Now, I was going to say what the, those three things were, but I'm going to leave that to you to explain. What, what are you talking about when you talk about this triad? So I call it the triad of trust, safety, and connection. And really, you know, teams, organizations that excel need, well, need to cultivate these three areas for exceptional performance to happen. We need to feel safe when we go to the workspace. Like many organizations have been talking about and doing work around psychological safety. Now, psychological safety or just safety in general, how do we feel safe? We need to trust those we're working with. And so how do we know the people that we're working with, how do we trust them as well? And that's a behavioral, we, we develop trust through behavior that we can see, which has been problematic or challenging in the pandemic. And that is contingent on having relationships with each other or having connection. So in fact, my TED talk, which I recorded last summer is called the virtual remote and hybrid checklist. And as people listen to it, you'll hear me speak about that triad or triangle of trust, safety and connection. Like a triangle, it's three-sided. When we erode one area, the other two areas get impacted. So if I don't feel connected with my team, it's very hard for me to feel safe and develop trust with those other members. I'm going to still operate in isolation. I can't really lean in and, and bring my best self to the relationship because I don't know who I'm working with. And we really need that. Again, if we look globally at all of the research around what are the levels of trust around the world, we're at some of our lowest rates ever. And, you know, in part, this may be because of the isolation that we've had in these last few years. So we have an opportunity now. How do we really work with people to reconnect? Hence the title of Reconnecting Workspaces. How do we reconnect, get to know each other, really look at what people are bringing to the different spaces we're working in, whether it's a community initiative, whether it's an organizational initiative, um, people need to know who they're working with. Just, you know, we're not just showing up and clocking in and leaving at the end of the day in most, in most roles. I'm thinking, as you were talking, I was thinking that everyone in the organization plays a part in that triad, right? It's not just, a, a, you know, somebody in the C-suite or a team lead or director or whoever. But even just the newest person that comes into the office, they have to contribute to that triad, right? 
Absolutely, right? The, the Everyone needs to be involved. And so again, what are we seeing in the workplace right now? A lot of churn, a lot of turnover. Uh, organizations that are doing exit interviews. I think it's going to be really interesting to be listening for why are people leaving? Did they even feel connected at the onset, right? And just saying, hey, welcome to our organization, whether it's physical or virtual onboarding, that's not enough. People may need a mentor. They may need a, like a peer partner to help them really get connected with, again, things like the culture of the organization. Mm-hmm. How do we do things here? Virtually, we need to be much more explicit with everything because we can't necessarily touch things. Same thing in the hybrid world, right? It's not like just going into an office. We need to really also be always communicating and sort of creating what they would say artifacts, structures to say, this is how we, how we do things here. In this Zoom or Teams meeting, you know, this is our, this is our team and this, this, this team is different than the other team. So how do we demonstrate that? And that's through simple things like our backgrounds on a screen. It's the way we host meetings. It's, you know, our connections. So what, what did you mean by backgrounds on our screens? So notice our backgrounds, right? These are, these are things that we have control over. How do we use our backgrounds, which we can change mostly and in a Zoom room or a Teams room? How do we change that to illustrate something important, right? Maybe there's a message. Maybe there is, uh, a, I, I go to meetings with some of my clients, right? And they're on matrix teams. So as they move from one team to another team, they literally change their screen. And each team has different colors, different branding. It's a subtle but important piece around team identity. And again, any of us that have been leaders of teams probably know how important it is to create that sense of identity. I'm on this team. I'm proud to be part of this team. I feel like I am part of this team. You know, an area we haven't touched on yet, Alex, is belonging, right? And, And really, at the heart of all of this is belonging. How am I contributing? How am I feeling part of this team? So back to our screensavers, well, not our screensavers, but our virtual (laughs) backgrounds, that's one way to also create identity. Is it that different than giving people a t-shirt as they come out and say, hey, thanks for coming out. You're part of this organization. It's Mm. just a way to indicate membership, connection, community, really at the end of the day. Interesting. On that note, we've come to the end of our second segment. Today, we are talking with Jennifer Britton, the author of Reconnecting Workspaces, and we will be right back. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fullick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. We are talking with Jennifer Britton today about her book, Reconnecting Workspaces. Jennifer, there's something in the book you talk about that I think a lot of people need to... uh, uh, know about and discuss and, you know, have have some better insights into. And that is conflict. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, we may not be in the office, but conflict is still happening. Absolutely. Conflict is one of those topics that a lot of teams, organizations in recent years have sort of swept under the rug. Culturally, that may be more, you know, attuned to some cultures of the world, but Conflict is something that is natural in any team. We know that teams that thrive actually are very diverse. And so when we're working across differences, conflict is actually inevitable. Where the challenge resides is how do we address conflict? Do we have the skills to address conflict? Have we seen it modeled well in terms of how leaders and teams have navigated conflict in the past? And I think conflict really is an area right now where a lot of teams and organizations are struggling. It's painful. It has not been well supported. And it makes sometimes for a very toxic environment. What are some of the causes of conflict? Because before you could be sitting in a meeting room and not like someone's idea or um, they cut you off halfway when you're saying something or whatever the case may be, or an interruption you don't like. So you, you know, bark at them, so to speak. Now that we're all virtual and all over the place, what are some of the causes of virtual conflict? Mm -hmm. Great, great question. And so I, I like your example, right? Let's think about it. Think about a time when you maybe were around the table and someone had an oppositional view and you were able to say, Hey, Hey, I don't, I don't agree with that. Well, how does that play out on Zoom? Can we even say, hey, I don't agree with it? Or are we muted? (laughs) Or we actually, we cannot respond. And that's one layer, right? Is is just the different way communication styles are playing out in the virtual space. So if we want to, again, create an environment where it is that real collaborative, interactive conversation, we need to, first of all, change how we're meeting. Are people actually all seeing each other on the screen? Are people muted or unmuted? 
And, mm-hmm. you know, just something as simple as that can mean that we can actually have a discourse. We can have a dialogue. And teams need to have this ability to constructively debate, right? That doesn't mean I hate your idea. It just means I have a different perspective around this. Now, in order to do that effectively, we also need to know each other. So one of the sort of themes that you and I have been touching on today is just how important it is for teams to know each other, understand their strengths, understand how people see the world, understand their role, and understand their priorities. And when people wind up working in these individual or collective silos, we start losing some of that understanding of other people's context of who they are, et cetera. So uh, relationships are key for navigating conflict, understanding, having empathy around someone else's world, understanding and hearing about other people's context can help us actually create bridges rather than create walls. And as a professional, you know, whether it's been in the last 18 years of this business or in my former world of work as a program manager, as someone with the United Nations, like conflict has potential large and small. And so how do we really create these opportunities for people to develop shared experience, collective understanding? Um, and that's on, a, that's on an organizational level as well as a global level. And so I think this is something that can cost people tremendously from not just turnover, but just the, the, the whole impact conflict and unaddressed conflict or poorly addressed conflict can have on an organizational culture. We talked earlier about how important motivation is. If things aren't addressed, how does that impact people individually and collectively? Mm-hmm. If they even wanna to come to the office when there is something that has been festering rather than being addressed in, a, in an, an appropriate and, and professional way. Well, I do want to ask you on ways that we can address conflict and so we can dig into that a little deeper. But I wanted to ask one question beforehand because you, you mentioned something I thought was rather interesting. On some of these Zoom or team calls or whatever platform you're using, you mute everybody, you know, a, a team leader or the 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 meeting facilitator uh, that could be that could be anybody mutes everybody and it kind of does prevent people from doing what they did in the boardroom where or a meeting room where they could speak up that in itself i think there one i think that person might be muting everybody so that there isn't conflict however it prevents people from talking which creates conflict Is that, am I kind of thinking correctly here or is it just me off the wall here? (laughs) Well, you know, and and I'm sort of going into your last piece. So when we are not able to voice our concerns, when we are not able to raise questions, when we're not able to check our understanding, that can lead to a whole slew of misunderstandings. It can lead to a whole, Mm. uh, you know, escalation of issues that might have been it's sort of like was this a little issue that's now a mountain you know it's sort of like the mountain from the molehill uh perspective Mm. because if i'm muted if i have no way to ask a question get clarification all of a sudden i'm starting to make assumptions that are probably very different from someone else on my team and going back to where we started this conversation right 
rules and, and the importance of a, a well-performing organization is this alignment. So we need to be in dialogue, right? One-way passage of information is not a way to uh, really activate people. It is not a way to empower people. We can only empower through, through conversation. And so if our meeting structures do not support, again, that collaborative culture, then there's a disconnect. And what's gonna happen with disconnect? You're gonna have conflict. You're gonna have you know, people leaving. Uh, there will be impact on many, many levels. So it's not just a simple thing. It, it is much greater than that. And again, I think organizations in person, hybrid, remote, everyone could benefit from looking at what are our meeting practices and processes? Are they really working? And it's not just the muting, it's even, you know, how are we inviting input? How are we facilitating that constructive interaction between different roles and different perspectives that exist within a team? Well, let's say, now I'll ask that question. How do we address conflict? Let's say we, you know, we've tried some of those things and uh, using you and myself as the example, we have a, a, a disagreement, a heated disagreement. <laughs> yeah. How does an organization or leadership address the conflict that is created, can be created virtually? Yeah. Well, again, I think there's, there's many different processes and, and tactics, but we want to get to root cause. You know, what is at the heart of this, whether it's a disagreement or different perspectives, right? Even how are we framing this? So you and I might have different perspectives. And as we talk about it, we might realize, you know what, we have different priorities. The reason we have different perspectives is because you have information that I haven't had access to. So again, are we talking to the issues versus the personalities as well? And I think in many organizations, a lot of conflict gets personalized rather than issues being identified so that not only you and I, but everyone can be looking at the issue rather than the personalities. There's a lot of research, you know, in, in our few, a short time here that, you know, can't get into the whole body of work, but you know, we often talk about conflict as being that puzzle to solve rather than, you know, uh, something else that is really raising to arms. And as we, as we help entire teams understand the bigger picture, I think this is where context comes into play. Many times I might feel that I only have a choice to compete with you because I don't have the rest of the information. So in a, in a very more sort of aligned way, we can help individuals navigate conflict by understanding their natural conflict style, right? Am I more apt to go and compete? Am I more apt to step back and just not even engage in a conflict? We can also help teams understand how to navigate conflict by modeling it well. Again, I, what I continue to see in a lot of organizations is conflict has not been modeled well in terms of resolution. There may be a lot of heat and people yell and scream, which is not appropriate and is really not effective, rather than saying, wait, let's, let's all take a pause and let's look at what is at the core of each of these two perspectives. What's similar here? What's the real issue at play? And let's look at issues in a much more rational, objective way, rather than turning this into a lot of heat. So, you know, conflict large and small, 
global and at an organizational level has huge implications. It is really, I think, mm -hmm. one of our greatest challenges right now on multiple levels. And it's an area that all of us can continue to work from, but we need to all be there, right? Part of the challenge of conflict is a lot of people really are so impacted by it, don't have the skills, the tools, the processes to address it, don't have the people who can help others navigate through this because this is a very emotional, very important uh, topic, which deals with people's livelihoods as well. Um, and so a lot of people retreat and that can mm -hmm. have huge impacts, huge impacts. So great question. We have a minute and a half left. Can you take a, a quick minute with any final thought, anything you'd like to convey um, about or from uh, your book? Well, as you've seen today, a lot of topics are covered in this book. So everything from conflict to coaching, mentoring to team meetings, you know, working in the evolving workspace, whether we're remote, virtual or hybrid going forward, requires an intentionality. It also requires that we all build our skill sets and continue to build our skill sets, whether we're a leader, whether we're a team member, whether we're the CEO, because the world will continue to change in ways that, like you said, are unexpected. And mm -hmm. the only way we can really navigate that is through, you know, ongoing learning and communication with the people that we work with. So if people are interested, again, pick up a copy of the book, 21 chapters, 21 different areas, including many we touched on today, culture, the evolution of culture, teamwork, conflict, coaching, mentoring, and projects. So with that, Alex, thank you very much for having me. I've, I've enjoyed our conversation today. Uh, me too. Thank you very much, Jennifer. And, and of course, congratulations on the book. I really enjoyed it. You can see, you know, I, there, I have a lot of uh, stickies or whatever you call them, tabs sticking out here <laughs> with things I wanted to touch on. And uh, we actually ran out of time and we still had, what, four questions we didn't get to uh, today. So, <laughs> but I enjoyed it nonetheless. Yeah. Well, thank you. And I love seeing books that get marked up. So read on. <laughs> and thank you for hosting today's conversation. My pleasure. And thank you for uh, agreeing to come on and chat with me today. I really appreciate it. And everybody watching and listening, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.